Well, the year is nearly over, and with another year having come and gone, many of us look ahead to the new year and make resolutions and set new priorities, and I do hope that one of those priorities for the new year for every single one of us in here would be to read the Bible in 2024, whether that's because you've finished last year's reading plan even this morning, or perhaps it's because you made that resolution a year ago and didn't complete your Bible reading plan, and so you're going to start again this year, or maybe perhaps you've never even thought about reading the Bible. You think that's just something that pastors do, um, or, or perhaps, perhaps only the most sacred people. But I do hope that, that every one of us would read the Bible in 2024, and plenty can be said about ways in which that can be done. Uh, I'll share some links in our, our community group questions this week so that Hopefully you can find a good reading plan and some good uh, tools to help you read your Bibles in 2024. But reading the Bible, at least just having a plan and making it a resolution for 2024, is not what our focus is going to be this morning. Rather, I want to encourage you all to not settle with reading the Bible in 2024. What I mean by that is I don't want you to merely read the Bible and check it off your list with any other kind of resolutions and any kind of goals that you might have in the new year. But rather, I want us to be transformed by the word this year. I want us to grow in holiness this year. I want us to grow closer and closer to Christ this year through the word and prayer. Unfortunately, far too many of us treat Bible reading much in the same way that we might treat uh, any, any chore that we have in the day. Take, for example, brushing your teeth. I do hope you brush your teeth. I hope you brush your teeth twice a day. But none of us are being transformed by brushing our teeth. And certainly brushing our teeth hardly impacts the rest of your life. You don't set your alarm in the morning to brush your teeth. Of course, you, you do it probably shortly after you wake up, but that's not why you wake up in the morning. And certainly throughout the rest of the day, you're not thinking about getting home and, and brushing your teeth again. If you do, you're probably strange in some ways, or maybe you're just self-conscious about your garlic breath. Who knows? But but this isn't the way I want us to think about Bible reading. I want us to think about Bible reading more in the way that a runner thinks about running when they're preparing to train to run a marathon. Now, of course, runners aren't always running. They're doing a whole bunch of other things, like resting, right? They're eating and fueling their body. They're stretching and making sure their, their bodies are well recovered after a run. And they schedule extended hours in their day so that they might continue to make progress in their ability to run. Everything in their life, even their diet and sleep is all geared around wanting to be a better runner. So they don't always run. But their life is geared around their love for running. So too, I don't want us to settle for merely reading our Bible much in the same way that you treat brushing your teeth. Rather, I want us to read our Bibles like a serious runner who's training for that marathon. Which can feel daunting. It can feel overwhelming, especially if you've never read the Bible before. You might wonder, well, where do I even begin? Well, to help us at least answer that question, we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul, learn how he interpreted his own Bible, which were for, at least for him, it would have been the, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament now. The science of interpreting the Bible is what we call hermeneutics. And Paul here in, in our text and 
Romans 15.4 is about his hermeneutic. That is his own way by which he would interpret the scriptures and instruct the church as well to live according to the scriptures. And being able to rightly handle the word is not a skill that is only for pastors and missionaries. It's a skill that every one of us should have and even the wisest Christian can continue to grow in. And so if you heard the word of God and you thought that the text was all about unity of the body, it is that, at least the broader context of the text that we, we have before us this morning. But, but here in the middle of this section, Paul almost interrupts his, his flow of thought to show how it is that he came to this command that he gives in the text. And this is the text that we have before us. It's, it's all about the word of God. He says this in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I, I see here three points of division that will help us walk through the text. Let's take them each one at a time, starting with the beginning of verse four. He says this, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Here's the first thing I want us to see. God's word was written for your instruction. One of the most difficult parts in reading the word of God for new Christians who are trying to, to get a handle on the word of God is how to read a book that is so old. The New Testament alone is, is over 2,000 years old in parts. And the Old Testament is even older yet. And so it might be difficult for some people to imagine how such an old and ancient book could have any benefit or relevance to us today as modern thinkers. How can God's word instruct me in, in my own desire to, to learn and go to school in a way that honors and glorifies him? How can God's word instruct me in the conflict that I'm having with my spouse how can God's word help me to glorify God in my parenting of my kids? How can God's word teach me and instruct me how I might use the later years of my life to most glorify him? Wouldn't we be better off leading the latest Christian self-help books? Answer, no. In fact, I would go further and say that you should probably avoid most of the Christian self-help books that you might find at Barnes & Noble. For one, there are fads that come and go, and moreover, these books are written by fallible men and are full of all kinds of error. But the Word of God is unlike those books. The Word of God, for one, it is sufficient for all of Christian life. Paul tells Timothy, the young pastor, he says, all Scripture is, God, is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete for every good work. And so though the Bible is incredibly old, understand it is sufficient for every part of our life. And not only that, but the scriptures, though they are old, they are timeless. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Those books that were written this last year, they'll come and go. They won't last forever, but the word of God, by contrast, will stand forever. And so Paul tells us in our text this morning that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. What Paul is referring to here when he's talking about that which was written in former days, he's referring to what we call the Old Testament. He's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the prophets. He's talking about the Psalms. And certainly for us as well, the New Testament is written as well for our instruction. But specifically, 
Paul has in mind that those things that were written in former days were those that were written before his own day, which makes sense if you actually see this in, in its broader context. Right before this, he quoted the Old Testament in verse 3. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and then he quotes Psalm 69, As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Consider what's going on here as the inspired apostle, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, is himself quoting the very God-breathed word as it was written by David before him. Paul is far from being done with quoting the Old Testament scriptures even here in this chapter alone. I'm not going to read the entirety of it, but you can look at Romans 15, 9 through 12 and see over and over and over again, Paul will quote the scriptures as it is written in verse 9. And again in verse 10, he said, and again it is said in verse 11, and again, and then another quote of the Old Testament scriptures after that. And then in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says. So you see, Paul, he is linking his argument together for the believers by quoting scripture over and over and over again. And it's not just here in, in, in Romans 15, but the entire letter of Romans and the entire New Testament for that matter is so saturated with Old Testament scriptures. And yet Christians often neglect reading the Old Testament thinking that, well, we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. We're now under grace, not the law. And this is true. We are under grace. We are no longer under the law. However, it would be a massive mistake to think that the Old Testament has no importance for us today. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you think there's some separation, at least by, by the Old Testament scriptures and thinking, well, those are now old news, they're gone, you can get rid of them. Again, remember, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. And so too, we do not get rid of the law. It's true, Paul says in Romans 3, that we are not justified by the works of the law. But does that mean we get rid of them? Do we overthrow the law that is by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so let me just give a, a shameless plug for our next study. We're going to launch into the book of Hebrews next week. And, and the book of Hebrews, of course, starts out like this. Long ago, and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed as the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And so it would be easy to look at a passage like that and say, well, see, we have a better revelation now in Jesus Christ. And so the old things are gone. Get rid of them. Don't worry about them so much. Let's focus on the new revelation that has come through Christ. But if you continue reading throughout the rest of Hebrews, as we're going to be doing, you'll find that the book of Hebrews is saturated once again with Old Testament scriptures. Because those Old Testament passages, those passages that were once shrouded and confusing and, and covered by darkness has now become clear to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, don't neglect reading the Old Testament. 
And, and moreover, do not just settle to, to read your Bible in the new year. Don't just read about Abraham's faith or Job's trials. Don't just learn about David and Daniel or learn just facts about, about Abraham, but rather learn from them. For whatever was written former days was, was, was written for our instruction. So what does that mean that it's written for our instruction? What is Paul meaning by this? Well, when you think of instructions, I wonder what comes to, my, what comes to mind. I, I think about the instructions that I see on my kid's mac and cheese box. It tells you how much water or milk or powder and when to boil it and how to put it all together. Or perhaps the instructions that you got uh, to, to put that new piece of furniture together. When I think of instructions, yes, certainly there's a lot of information in there, but it's not just mere information for the mind, but it's information that is to, to help us navigate how we're to move forward. And that's what Paul means here when he's saying that these scriptures that were written in former days, they're written for our instruction. They're written not just to fill our minds with facts, but to, to help us live lives that are godly, that glorify the Lord. And now there are many who would disagree with me on this point. They would say, well, Josh, don't you know that you're not David? Jesus was David, and we're the ones who couldn't fight Goliath. Or they might say, well, Josh, you're trying to tell me to dare to be a Daniel. But don't you know that when Daniel was put in the, the lion's den, and then later on that, that stone was rolled away, Daniel was still alive, and that, that was a shadow that pointed forward to Christ, who was, was similarly put into the ground left for dead. He was dead more than that. But then the tomb, it, it was rolled away and, and he was alive. Don't you know that all of the scriptures are about Jesus and not about you? You might even open up Luke 24 and, and read Jesus' word to his own disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. And even here in our text, even before us, Josh, don't you know that when, when Paul is quoting the Old Testament, he's connecting it to Christ? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and then going into the psalm, he's showing how Christ is the one who bore the reproaches of those who reproached God. Josh, don't you know that all the scriptures are about Jesus. I understand someone who might want to argue with me in that way because many of us have had a, a road to Emmaus experience in, in our own way. We, we grew up perhaps thinking that Christianity was all about the laws and regulations and rules that needed to be kept in order to save ourselves from God's wrath. But then one day we heard the gospel and we believed in Jesus Christ. We heard of Jesus' death in our place and we put our faith in him. And in that moment, we were justified apart from works, but by grace through faith alone. So you might be sensitive to any kind of command that a preacher might give you to obey. But I want us to, I want us to understand something. I'm not the one saying this. I want us to follow Paul's argument closely here. I want to at least try to trace through the first few verses so you can help see where he gets this conclusion at in verse four. Starting with verses one and two, he, he gives a command. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is a radical command, and I wish we could get into the details of it, but, but we don't have time for that this morning. But it's a radical command to deny yourself in order to love and serve 
your neighbor, to build them up and edify them. And what is the ground for such a command? Verse 3. The reason this command is given to these Christians is because Christ did not please himself. And then he continues and he says, Christ did not please himself just as it was written of him in the Old Testament. But the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So is the Old Testament about Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But is the Old Testament written also for our instruction? Yes, that's how Paul is using it here. He's using Christ as the example who fulfilled the Old Testament law and the prophets so that we might follow in his footsteps. And so this is why Paul could say to the Corinthians that he determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. But then Paul would continue to instruct the Corinthians on all sorts of aspects of their lives. And the same goes throughout all of his letters that he writes. So it's true, he determines to know nothing except for Christ. But in doing so, Christ changes us and transforms us as we behold his glory and become more and more like him. Now there's one massive clarification that needs to be made before we leave this point and all the other points moving forward as well. And that is that Paul is writing to Christians who do believe in Jesus Christ, who have been justified by faith alone. They are saved. They are not doing anything in order to try to earn a salvation apart from faith. It's not what's going on here, and that's not what I'm saying. But the point I I am trying to say is, is if we read our Bibles, and then we walk away from it, and we aren't actually changed from what we're reading, then we are like those who look into a mirror and walk away and forget what they look like. So I want us to get both of these clearly placed in our minds. On the one hand, Christ, he is our Savior, first and foremost. More than anything else, he is our Savior. So let's not neglect that. But on the other, let's not neglect to recognize that Jesus Christ is also our Master and Chief who leads the way and calls us to follow him. John 13, if then your Lord and Teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. So while most of the Old Testament, yes, it is pointing to Jesus. All of the scriptures are pointing to him. Let us not forget that we are also to be like him. Let's continue Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what's the end of these instructions? What's the point of it? God's word was written for our instructions, yes, but more than this, it was also written so that we would have endurance and encouragement. There's two parts to this, and so we need to consider them one at a time. Let's consider first the need for endurance that comes through God's word. First of all, what is endurance? Endurance, of course, is the ability to withstand difficult and unpleasant experiences without giving up. A long-distance runner is able to push past the discomforts because he has built up his endurance. So why might a Christian need endurance? And in relation to that, then why might a Christian need the word of God that produces in us this endurance? We need endurance and we need the word because the Christian life is full of trouble. Jesus told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. And in Acts 14, Paul Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, 
through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. How is that encouraging, you might wonder? How is it encouraging to know you're going to have trouble? Well, you can find the answer to that by reading the scriptures that were written of old. For what was written in former days was written for our instruction. And through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And so, yes, we learn about Abraham, but more than this, we learn of his own patience and endurance because God made a promise to him that he would make him a nation, and yet this did not happen overnight. God's promise would not even come even in his own experience. He wouldn't even begin to see the beginnings of it until 25 years after the promise was first made to him when he would finally have Isaac, his very own son. Yeah, we can certainly learn much about Joseph, but we can even learn from him that God's word comes to pass for those who are patient and endure. For the Lord showed him in a dream that he would be put in a high position over his brothers, that they would all bow before him. But, but before that would come to pass, he would be sold by his brothers and thrown into prison for years. 20 years would pass before Joseph's dreams would come to fruition. And we can learn about patience and endurance even by, by looking at the children of Israel. We can learn negatively what happens for those who do not endure. Those who are not patient, but those instead who put the Lord to the test will not see the promised land. But positively, we also learn from the children of Israel that though men are faithless, God remains faithful. For even after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God brought them safely into the land flowing with milk and honey. The Old Testament has so much to teach us about patience and endurance. And when the writer of Hebrews wished to strengthen the saints so that they too would endure, where did he find his counsel? Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then what does he do? He quotes the prophet Habakkuk. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And from there, he launches, of course, into Hebrews 11 when he recounts all those saints of old who lived by faith. And so when we feel like giving up, when our faith is weak and when we feel impatient and our endurance is, is wearing thin, Oh, would you go to the scriptures? Not just reading the Bible to check it off your list, but to go there so that you might receive endurance. And not only that, but encouragement. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now we have great advantages as New Testament believers being able to go back and look at all those stories of old about what the Lord had done in the lives of his people. We can trace the promises that God made through all those saints. And what we will see time and time and time again without fail is the Lord is faithful and every promise comes to pass. Yes, Abraham waited for 25 years. And when you are in the thick of a 25-year trial, it might seem like the promise will not come to pass. But we have the advantage of looking back at Abraham and just through a few chapters of Genesis, we will see that God did in fact make Abraham into a nation. You could read the same of Joseph. Though 20 years in prison for us would cause us to begin to doubt the goodness of God in such a short reading, just reading a chapter of Genesis, you see that Joseph went from prison 
to being in the high authority, ranking right next to the Pharaoh himself. You can learn from Israel, wandering through the, the wilderness for 40 years, and you can think, the Lord is never going to bring me safely home. But what you will see through learning from them is, is God is faithful. You have no reason to doubt him. You have no reason to question him. He is faithful and his promise will come to pass. When we are in the midst of the trials, we are so quick to tempt, tempted to, to doubt God, to become impatient and faithless. And so when you're in trials, there is a great benefit to have, be had by looking back to the, the Old Testament, receiving the encouragement that is there from the saints and seeing that God is faithful time and time again. But it's not just the stories. Not just the stories of the saints that we might have encouragement by, but even perhaps even the greatest encouragement throughout the entire Bible, the greatest encouragement could be found in the Psalms. That's why the saints have, have devoted themselves to reading the Psalms daily for years. Take, for example, the 23rd Psalm. It's well-worn, but it never wears out. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or consider again the comfort that is found from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Oh, the comforts that could be had if you, if you would pour yourself into the Psalms not just reading it to check it off your list, but, but get the word of God in you. And perhaps one of the greatest comforts that could be even had is not just found in an isolated book of the Bible, but by just tracing the theme that starts from Genesis and culminates in Revelation. Throughout the Old Testament, of course, we, we see hints of a child that is yet to come. Certainly the child that we've been celebrating over this last Advent season. But, but, but through the Old Testament, we read of a child that would come through the seed of a woman to crush the serpent's head. Through the Old Testament, we read about the promised, the promised one that would be a blessing to the nations that would come from Abraham's offspring. From the Old Testament, we, we learn about, about the one that would come from the lineage of David. David's own Son, who would be an eternal king, who would reign forevermore. And Israel, of course, wondered who this child would be. And they waited for centuries for this child to be born. But we aren't wondering anymore. For Christ has come, born of a woman, Mary, having fulfilled what the scriptures said that through the seed of Eve, the serpent would be crushed. Being brought into the nation of Israel, brought into the world through Israel, having come from the Abraham's descendants, from the line of, of Judah, that is, from David's own family. Here in Christ, we see how God was faithful to not just a promise to Abraham, not a separate promise to David, not a separate promise to Israel as a whole, but he was faithful to every promise he made. And so there is great encouragement by looking back and seeing how all those promises of old came to pass in Christ. And so we have a great encouragement for us as well as we look forward to see God's promises fulfilled in our own lives as well. So don't just read your Bibles. Don't just check it off your list, but, but meditate on it. Be strengthened and encouraged by it so that you might endure in the faith to the very end, which brings us to the final point. Look, at, look again at our text. 
Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God's word, brothers and sisters, it is written so that you would have hope. Now, what is biblical hope? Biblical hope is not the same as the way we use the word hope oftentimes. Usually when we think about hope, we think about wishful thinking, crossing our fingers, maybe even a subjective sense of optimism for the future. So we hope the new year is a a good year for us. But that is not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is faith that looks to the future. Biblical hope is a a strong, confident assurance that all that God has promised will, in fact, come to pass. Hope is so closely linked to faith that it's very difficult sometimes to actually separate the two. Hope is, in fact, faith. But it is faith that is looking forward to what we have yet seen. Romans 8 helps us with this. Romans 8, 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now, Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see again that theme of patience. So what is hope? Hope is this full conviction and eager expectation of what God has promised, knowing that it will, in fact, come to pass. It's not just crossing of the fingers. It is It is full confidence knowing that every promise will become a reality. That's what biblical hope is. Now, what is our hope? Our hope is this. Our hope is that we will experience redemption fully, finally, once and for all. All the Old Testament saints, they were wondering who the Son would be. They had hopes for the Son to come. But even for us today, we are no longer wondering who this Son will be. But we have a similarity to those Old Testament saints in that we are still waiting, waiting for Christ to return. Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's hope right there. He is waiting for the glory to be revealed so that he will no longer suffer in this life. That glory, he says, it is far better and far greater and, and far heavier than anything here in this earth. Oh, there are good things to come. Good things that we should hope for. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That, that is our hope. Revelation is pointing forward to a a future that is yet to be realized. And it is a wonderful promise that the former things will have passed away. But for now, what we know in this life is an experience of, of brokenness and tears. Death continues and so we mourn and we feel pain every single day. Jesus told us, in the world you will have tribulation. 
But then he gives us this encouragement so that we might have hope. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So Paul, again, he strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So even be encouraged in the face of trials, it is through the trials and tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. You understand, I hope, why I'm saying I don't want you just to read the Bible in 2024. You see, every single one of us is going to need hope next year. And even today. You're going to need hope in 2024 when you lose your job. You're going to need hope in 2024 when your reputation is dragged through the mud. You're going to need hope in 2024 when your cancer returns. You're going to need hope in 2024 when your spouse dies. So where are you going to turn when you need hope? Turn to Psalm 42. Turn to the scriptures that teach you where you can turn. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall praise, again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I hope you know that 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 psalm is just as beneficial for us to learn from today as it was when it was first penned. For our God is faithful and he does not change. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I want us to also have this in clear, clearly in our minds this morning. There are some of us here who have no real hope. Sure, you might hope for good things in the new year. You might hope for a, a raise or a, a better position in your job or a new house or, or any kinds of toys and trinkets in this life. But understand, that is, that is at best a wishful thinking. But more than this, you have no hope, at least not the hope that we're talking about here in this text. You have no hope because you have no faith in God. And since you do not believe in Jesus Christ, the future hope, that, that day when we will be with God, when all the bad things will be undone, it will not be yours to be experienced. And so if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you are not encouraged by the scriptures, and if you are not enduring in the faith, I want you to know you do not have hope this morning. And so may the Lord grant you faith to believe in Jesus Christ, and may he grant you repentance so that you might turn to him Turn away from your sins and turn to him. But to the rest of us who do believe in Jesus Christ, I do hope that you read the Bible in 2024. But don't settle for just reading the Bible. Rather, I want you to mine the word of God by meditating on it day and night. Get the word in you so that it would shape every part of your life. Get the word of God in you so that that you might have the strength to endure the trials that are to come. Get the word of God in you so that you might receive encouragement when you have no hope. Get the word of God in you so that you can be filled with the hope that only comes from the living and abiding word of God. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So much, so much more can be said about reading the Bible. In fact, 
Paul just continues his argument from here and and he doesn't just continue talking about the word of God, but then he begins to pray that the the very word that he has preached to them and exhorted them towards would actually take root in their life. Let me just read the passage to you. I'm not gonna actually have time to to walk through it closely, but, but I encourage you to begin pressing even the rest of this section into your own heart so that you might have a, a rich fellowship with God through the word and through prayer in the new year. Listen, listen to how he continues. After talking about all that the word has for us, he says this, May the God of an endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Oh, we see wonderful relationships here with even not just our Bible reading, but our Bible reading and prayer. And not just with prayer, but even prayer and obedience. And the capstone over it all is the glory of God. And so I'd encourage you, read the Bible for the glory of God this year. This is my exhortation. Don't just settle by reading the Bible and checking it off your list like you do and you brush your teeth. But instead, I want us to read our Bible in the same way that a runner trains to run a marathon. I want the word of God to shape every part of your life in 2024 and not just in the year to come, but for all eternity. To that end, let me pray for you. Oh, Father, we do thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the ability to, to pierce our hearts, divide the soul. Lord, I want us to to be convicted of sin even this morning, even our own sin that not just neglects your word but doesn't have proper affections for your word that helps us know you. Lord, ultimately, we don't love you the way we should. And so we do ask that your word would not just convict us of sin, but I pray that it would also encourage us, encourage us to run to Christ. I pray that it would encourage us to find our, our hope in you, Pray for those who are weak and weary this morning that they would find strength from your word today and tomorrow and every day that comes afterwards. Lord, may your word have its full effect on us that we might live lives that glorify you. And so, Lord, would you have your way in our life? Be glorified in our life, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.